Welcome to episode number 91 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast where we're building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we're giving you a glimpse inside the Dust Safety Academy and playing a replay from one of the Ask Me Anything sessions that we recently ran inside the community. The Dust Safety Academy is our education and training platform, all focused on combustible dust safety. So inside the community, we have a forum area where you can ask questions, where you can discuss with others topics that are relevant to combustible dust safety, where you can ask for help, where you can get information on different issues that are pertaining to these type of industries that we're working with. There's also an exhibition area where you can meet with other companies that provide equipment and services in this area. And then most importantly, there's training and education. So every two weeks, we run either an Ask Me Anything session with experts from around the world, or we run online training and education where we're talking about very specific topics related to combustible dust. So today's podcast episode, we're going to be running through an Ask Me Anything session we had with Jason Reason from Seam Group on remote dust hazard analysis. In this session, we covered what are the benefits and challenges of completing a DHA remotely, some of Jason's recommendations on how you blend on-site and off-site elements of a DHA, what his thoughts are around costs associated with remote DHAs, should they be cheaper than regular DHAs or in-person DHAs rather, and what might you get if you accept you know, a really low-cost DHA, what might be the end result there. Then we cover a, a range of different topics around things like, can you do a pre-DHA yourself? Can you do mini-DHAs on single piece of equipment? And much more in this session. We actually broke this episode into two different parts. In the first part of the Ask Me Anything session, we really stayed on topic. We talked a lot about this remote dust hazard analysis. But here at the end of this, this episode of the podcast, that we actually got a lot of questions that were on other topics related to combustible dust. Topics like, is it all right to mix mild steel and different types of metal from buffing and grinding operations? How to treat mixtures of aluminum and brass? NFPA 664, thresholds and exceptions. Can ATEC certifications be used in lieu of NRTL, CSA, UL certifications in North America? And we broke in this second half of the Ask Me Anything session into part two, which will come out next week on the podcast, or will come out as episode 92 if you're listening in the future. Since running this Ask Me Anything session you'll be hearing today, we've since ran uh, several different trainings inside the community, including having Dr. Ashok Dastar on for combustible dust testing, doing an Ask Me Anything session there, Brian Richardson from Canfield on dust collector explosion protection. On the online training education side, we've had Jeremy Slonway from Remby come in and talk about dust hazard analysis case study and an example report and walks through different elements of the report. We've had myself give a live training on three incident case studies from grain and feed processing and some of the lessons learned there. We've had Dr. Vahid Ebadot from Stonehouse Process Safety come on to talk about electrostatic ignition sources and considerations for combustible dust. So these are live training sessions that are more your traditional talking over slides, taking questions at the end, and these Ask Me Anything sessions like the one you hear today are more just back and forth and me and the guests talking about the questions as they come in from the community that are tuning into the session. If you're interested in joining the Dust Safety Academy, you'll get access to the replays of all these trainings. You'll get access to the 52 presentations from the Digital Dust Safety Conference. You'll also have access to the community where you can ask questions in the exhibition area. And you can also get access to all the trainings as they come out live every two weeks. And we always have a really exciting lineup of topics relevant to combustible dust safety, which you can find at dustsafetyacademy.com, which will have the links required for you to join as a member in the Dust Safety Academy. And if you go to the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 92 for this episode, we'll have links for where you can find that information as well. So without further ado, we'll get right into the Ask Me Anything session with Jason Reason 
on remote dust hazard analysis. Welcome to our first live training session through the Dust Safety Academy. Thank you for checking. You can hear me and writing in the chat box. We'll, we'll talk about what some of these widgets do um, just a moment for this meeting. But the real purpose here is it's very similar to the conference. So the purpose is to, to get the questions answered that you have for combustible dust safety. Um, we're constantly getting questions every day about this NFPA standard or this regulation or this area of difficulty that people are experiencing and putting together these trainings every, uh, actually I start off every two weeks, put together to address those, those issues. Um, we're doing smaller intimate groups. We're doing them inside the Dust Safety Academy, really so that people can be open and bring in the experts like Jason, who we have here today from, from North America and from around the world to talk about these topics. With that in mind, if you want to suggest topics for future live trainings inside the academy where you registered for this session, just at the bottom there, you can email conference at dustsafetyscience.com and suggest what topics you, you want the live trainings to be on or these Ask Me Anything sessions. So in today's session, we have an Ask Me Anything on considerations for performing dust hazard analysis. And we have Jason Reason here with us. He is the Director of Combustible Dust Services at Seam Group, based at Indianapolis, Indiana. He's an extensive career in safety and health. He was a compliance officer for 13 years prior to moving into consulting with Llewellyn Technology in 2013, uh, which is now Seam Group. He's a member of several technical committees, including chairman of NFPA 664 on woodworking facilities. Uh, and he just recently, last year, I believe, received the award, the American Society of Safety Professionals Fire Practice Safety Professional of the Year. I told him to put his trophy behind him. Um, he insists on keeping it in front of on this video, but I do want to congratulate him for that and say thank you for coming on. So before we get into the question and answer session, I want to go through a couple of administrative things. We're going to run anywhere between half an hour, 45 minutes, um, even up to an hour if you if keep, uh, if Jason can handle the questions and maybe keep them going. Uh, that's sort of the timeline we're looking for if you need to set aside some time. I do want to mention that the idea for bringing Jason on here was an article that he wrote, um, which I will put in the chat, uh, that was get a DHA during the COVID outbreak. He's talking about his thoughts and, and thoughts of scene group of how to actually do remote dust hazard analysis. And that's really why we, we brought him on to talk through this because we're getting that same question quite a bit. So I just put that um, link in the chat box there. You can open up that article if you want to read through what we're chatting. Um, and think of some questions that you have as well. So we have had some questions submitted beforehand um, and we'll get into those. So Jason, I think the, the place to start off on is just what is the, the some of the main differences between completing a DHA remotely versus the traditional DHA that we're all familiar with and doing it in person? Oh uh, yeah, and thanks for having me on. Um, let me know if anybody can hear me. Uh, most of the time with my big mouth, it, you can pretty much hear me pretty, pretty clearly, but uh, yeah, there, there are some differences, um, especially with what's going on right now with the, with the whole coronavirus. You know, I mean, obviously the main difference, if you were going to do a true remote DHA versus a real DHA, the on-site component is obviously not there, which is both good and bad. I mean, if you've done the same type of DHAs before, so if you, for example, have done a lot of woodworking facilities, for the most part... They're very similar, but I've found that through the years that no two facilities do things the same way, even though they may think that <laughs> people do things very differently in how they do things. But if you've been to facilities like that and you're very familiar with the equipment, it makes doing a remote DHA with no onsite very, it makes it a little easier at least. But um, from what I've found, I mean, even doing a true quote unquote remote DHA, you have to put an onsite component somewhere in there. Um, just because you can only do so much, you know, with the collaboration between 
whoever's going to do the DHA and the on-site team because it requires a lot more time and effort to do a remote DHA than it does to actually do it the true way, which, which is an on-site and a report and everything else. That makes sense. So can you, can you maybe just walk us through what this might look like? So a company reaches out to you, they want to have you do a, a remote DHA because we're, they're in a shutdown operation. What's the first step that we look at? Yeah, I mean, how, how we do it, at least at Seam Group, and this is only how we do it at Seam Group, but uh, is um, if the client, typically the remote DHA is offered when the client has a current policy in place right now, like a lot of facilities have no visitor policies uh, because of the coronavirus or, you know, the, the stay-at-home orders for the states. If that policy is in place, um, obviously we're, we're going to respect it. Um, so what we offer in that case is we kind of flip the way we do a DHA now. So we, we basically do the DHA remotely through a series of phone calls. Um, some people have even taken videos. I had one client that actually took a drone. I, I've, yeah, I won't get into how they did it, but they, they took drone photos of everything. It was actually kind of entertaining because one time they crashed it. <laughs> so they sent that too, but they, they send us all that stuff. So we have several calls and, the whole purpose of that is to try to get enough where we can get most of what we would gather for the report to get that report out to somebody. So call it a draft report if you want to call it that. And then hopefully within a month or two after virus calms down a little bit, which is most likely going to be the summer, we would then go on site and we would finalize that report with anything we weren't sure about. So that's kind of how we do a remote DHA. So there still is an on-site component, but you still get the report so you can address the hazards and the hazards just don't sit there and go, you know, unassessed or unmitigated. Yeah. So it's really about getting as far as you can with the restrictions that are in place. So if you can't go on site, getting at least some safety measures identified and, and the controls looked at um, and then coming back on site. So you are coming back in later and doing an on-site visit for, for most of these sort of DHAs? Correct. I mean, we right now it's pretty prevalent in California. A lot of our clients in California don't allow on-site visits right now. I know we're considered essential, but we are still traveling, so we still do DHAs. I mean, I'm actually going to be going to Tennessee in a couple weeks, but um, but yeah. So, but when in the cases where we can't, which like I said right now is pretty much the West Coast and the East Coast, we do those DHAs remotely, and and then with the hopes of going on site, hopefully in June or July to finish those DHAs off. Well, that makes sense. We do have some questions coming in. Um, so keep, make sure you're asking your questions in the Q and a widget. I uh, mean, use the chat feature as well. Um, and we'll, we'll cycle those through to Jason as we, we uh, kind of keep going down the track on this. So we have some, some questions around the operational conditions of the plant. So things like fugitive dust control, you know, dust on duct work, uh, evidence of cleaning, you know, what kind of things are you doing to, to try to take care of that in a remote DHA through, through discussions with the, the team? Well, and that's one of the most challenging things because you're really relying on that case on, you know, whether it be safety and health or operators or whoever you're talking to remotely via video calls or whatever. I mean, even if they show you pictures of what it looks like, you know, you got to verify that that's really what it looks like because a lot of people are deep cleaning their facilities right now before they start back up. So they all look immaculate. I think I told one person, I've never seen a woodworker look that immaculate. You cleaned it, didn't you? They're like, yeah, how'd you know? I go, because it's never that clean. I just could tell. Um, but 
So, I mean, you've got to be careful with that to not assume that the housekeeping is correct because you've really got to dig down into that, especially with operators and employees to figure out what is it truly like? I mean, is there normally five inches of dust on top of this duct and you just deep cleaned it? And because if so, it's going to show up there again, but you could even get, well, how long has that dust been there? How long did it take to accumulate? These are all questions you would ask when you were on site anyway. It's just now you're trying to do it remotely. But I mean, typically when you show up on site, you know, they, at least for us, they don't clean. We, we, we make that effort to tell them, yeah, don't do anything special for us. We want to see how it truly is. Um, we get some people that clean, they treat us like OSHA. I was going to say, yeah, it's not OSHA. Don't clean. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you're, we want to see how it is. So, but the housekeeping is hard. I mean, things like that are a lot harder to assess. I mean, a dust collector is a dust collector. It's going to not going to go anywhere. It's, you know, as long as you know what it looks like and what it's collected and what it's connected to, that's relatively straightforward. But the process equipment, the processes, the procedures, those are a little tougher on the remote side and you've got to dig really deep. I know it took me for one housekeeping issue on the phone. It took me over an hour to figure till I was comfortable figuring out how it truly was, where if I was on site, I would have answered it in five minutes. And what kind of, so in that conversation, is it, you know, go check the, the bolts and, make sure things are tight and they can come back and is it sort of this back and forth exchange while you're doing the, doing that work? It's part of it. You know, like if, if I hear from some people, you know, all too often, you know, a lot of consultants and unfortunately most of these people aren't qualified when they make these type of recommendations, you know, the easy way to get out of a housekeeping thing on a DHA is to say, we'll clean it. I think everybody on this call and everybody in America and Canada and everywhere else in the world would know I think you should clean it. They rarely talk about how to clean it, but the bigger problem is, is they rarely talk about where does the dust come from? And that's where you got to dig down to, to figure out, is it coming from a leak? Cause generally it's coming from a leak or they don't have proper ventilation. They don't have proper capture velocity. And that's when you really got to drill down on, you know, you know, going from that operator now to going to where you were talking about Chris maintenance. You know, how often do you fix this duct? How often does it leak? Do you have a preventative maintenance program? Because otherwise, telling them to clean it's not really going to do anything because it's just going to come back. So whereas if you have a, that preventative maintenance program in place or ventilation controls or other controls like that, you may mitigate that hazard and maybe eliminate that housekeeping frequency. Yeah, that makes sense. And are you tackling training and those sort of administrative side things as well through these, these remote DHAs? We do. Um, generally, we always did those remote. If anybody gave us the programs, we have a real hard time getting programs on DHAs. Do they not exist or do they just have a hard time getting them? I think it's a combination of a little bit of those. But to be honest with you, I think the number one thing is they, they don't want to admit they're wrong. That's probably the biggest thing that people, we, we try to tell them it's okay. You know, we, we're here to find efficiencies. We, you know, if you don't have a hot work program, tell us you don't have one. But, you know, they go on, you know, well, we're looking for one and I already know they don't have it. <laughs> and, you know, it would just be easier. It's like, okay, well, let us tell you what you need to put in it or let us tell you how to revise your hot work program. But um, I, I've never done a DHA where every program was in compliance with OSHA with what it needed to include for combustible dust hazards. And I would say on 99% of our DHAs, the combustible dust training is inadequate. So, and that's the number one sided thing by OSHA here in the States is not doing the combustible dust training, not training your employees on the physical hazards of combustible dust. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and fortunately, I guess that's, that's one that can be 
tackle remotely more easily than than fugitive dust and you know checking that sort of stuff so that makes a lot of sense i get a couple questions around um, the structure of the dha would you see them costing more than a than your typical dha or how's the the cost and maybe even the time associated to do one compared to uh in-person dha in terms of cost i mean i can only speak for us and then i'll speak to what i've seen um with competitors without naming names it doesn't, the cost is really negligible, whether it's remote or, because again, that on-site's there. It's just, we, and the, the increased time doesn't really, we don't charge for that on the remote side because we're more concerned about actually getting those hazards mitigated or at least addressed so that people know what they are. So from our end, I mean, the cost doesn't necessarily go up, even though there's more time involved because it all equals out in the end. And what I mean by that is, if you do a DHA the standard way where you show up on site, then you do the report, you backload all the time because you're working on the report and you know, you've got the onsite. Well, all you're doing is front loading the time now because you're working on the report first. And actually it makes the onsite go a little faster because if we've already dealt with this dust collection system, we don't really need to look at it that hard. Whereas if we were on site, we may have to spend more time. So that's why our cost pretty much is about the same for whether it's remote or, um, you know, whether we do it the standard way. What I have seen is kind of a troubling trend out there, not only with these remote DHAs, but with DHAs in general, but especially with some of these remote ones, I've seen people offering two, $3,000 DHAs now. And I, I've got to warn everybody on this call that if you, you even are thinking about getting one of those, you better check that thing. Cause to do a DHA for that, that amount of money and make sure all the hazards are actually properly assessed, I've never seen it. And in fact, I know of at least two incidents so far in the last two months that that type of DHA actually caused an incident from either missing the hazards or implementing an incorrect method that the DHA told you to do because it wasn't properly researched and it actually caused an actual explosion. Yeah. And I mean, that's, you know, we want to be very careful not to commoditize this where you're driving the, you're, you're at a race for the bottom price because there is some threshold below which you're not going to get it, a good DHA. If your DHA looks like NFPA 652 with a new cover, you know, you probably didn't get a very good deal on that. And Jason has some commentary that he's going to share, not today, but, but later on about the true costs of, of an ineffective DHA like that as well. Come on, kind of forward questions that came in here one's not really forward looking but the next one will be forward looking um, is there any difference between a, a review so nfpa 652 requires the dha to be done and then five-year reviews and i've even said this before where i've said those are five-year dhas and jason corrected me and said well they're a review if you're doing your maintenance program they may be substantially smaller than a full-blown dha so they are different maybe well maybe i'll let you talk to that what's between the review five-year review of dha and DHA, and then is there any difference from a remote standpoint? Would it be easier to do a review than a, a, a net new DHA? The five-year requirement is really, you could consider it like an audit, an audit or review. It's not really doing a DHA. Again, now that being said, I mean, again, the standards do require you look at it every five years, but if the DHA was done the correct way, which I can only speak for ours and some, some of the other ones I've seen do this, but it, they're rare, unfortunately, I'd say 99% of the time, this is a recommendation that comes of our DHAs is to implement a management of change program or an MOC program, um, which is where you analyze any potential change regarding combustible dust and um, try to assess how that affects 
you know, that process. So for example, I've had people say, well, we want to go from one wet collector to two. Well, you need to do a management change on that and analyze that. And you actually, after the DHA, need to take it a step further and ask the, the additional question of how does this affect the DHA we just did? Because I have people, especially in 3D printing all the time, tell me, well, we want to switch from titanium to aluminum. Okay, we may have to redo significant portions of this DHA now because you switch materials. But if you do the management change program, and, and I know it's hard, I know it's a pain in the beginning, I know it seems kind of stupid to analyze every change, but if you do that, it's less likely you're going to need much of a review, if at all, in five years because you would have been doing it all along. And those changes and those potential changes you catch, they prevent incidents from occurring or near misses or anything. I mean, because if you really truly analyze those changes, it does prevent a lot of things from occurring and you catch a lot of, a lot of stuff. I guess, I guess you, you really don't have a choice. The work's either got to be done live time, you can save it up for five years, but you risk finding out the hard way that, that a change caused an issue with uh, losing part of your facility, losing part of your product, or, or even worse. But what I hear from you is, yeah, if you're doing your management change effectively and have a good program in place, you're going to have a much more minimized audit or review of your DHA at the end of the five-year process. Yeah, and even if, if you look at it without an incident, take that off the board, you know, insurance is obviously pretty involved after you do a DHA for the most part, most of, most of them are. So if you start changing your systems and then they come in and say, well, three years ago you did this, well, now you have to redo it. The cost to retrofit that is 10, 20 times more than it would have been to catch that right when you did it. So it actually can save cost as well. And if the DHA is done right, it will save you money in the long run if it's done right. That's what Chris was getting to with the, with the total, the, the true cost of a low cost DHA. I had someone that paid, I won't say with who, but paid $5,000 for an onsite DHA, uh, showed up on one onsite one day, did a report that was 15 pages long, issued the report. And by the time it was all over, there was no incident, but by the time insurance got involved, OSHA got involved, everybody else got involved, they had to pay $300,000. Whereas had the DHA been done right in the first place, it would have saved them all of that money and more. So doing these tools like management of change and, and hammering down on the qualified person, whether you do it remotely or not, is they're extremely important. Yeah, I think related to that, we had a question come in on, on the HJs, um, and, and that's a, a broad general term, so we'll just get what experience you do have. Are they currently accepting of these remote DHA processes as, as being sufficient in the in the duration while things are closed out? Yes, insurance is anyway. I don't believe, I'm trying to think of the top of my head if OSHA's, I think they're still doing inspections, but I thought they were concentrating on, you know, the high priority stuff right now. Maybe the complaints, but uh, but yeah, it, they, they are taking the remote DHAs. Um, I have noticed, especially with OSHA and insurance, and to a lesser extent, the fire marshals, that they are harping more on the qualified individuals. So they're not taking a DHA at face value because I actually had a couple ASJs contact me to have me review reports that were submitted to them. And I had to tell them that, yeah, these aren't good. And they made them go back and redo the DHA. It's a really hard question because QP qualified person isn't, doesn't have a specific definition, but are there some things that the HJs might be looking for 
suggest that the that the person is a you know a qualified person? What what are you seeing from your experience there? I think if they they kind of from my experience is they want to talk to the person. It's you know anybody and their mother can sit on an NFPA committee. I mean, that's yeah. <laughs> what it is. If there's room on an NFPA committee, you can be on it for the most part, um, as long as the chair likes you. I mean, the the people on the committee, I mean, most of them are qualified in my opinion. They're all smart people. Uh, but being on those committees doesn't make you one ounce qualified to do a DHA. It's the expertise and the experience you have um, in doing that. And I know I had one client that unfortunately didn't want to hear that. And I, I warned them, don't do this. They went to, went to somebody, I won't say who, that offers a eight-hour course that magically you become qualified to do DHAs after you take an eight-hour course. And they took it. And then they did their own DHA and the fire marshal basically threw it right out of the window and said, Nope, this doesn't work. You need to go get someone who's qualified. So there is no magic course. There is no certificate. There is nothing out there. Unfortunately, that's going to tell you you're qualified. It's just what was your expertise in doing this? And generally you learn from a qualified person and then you get qualified as, you know, as the years go on. I mean, even when we hire someone as a consultant, they rarely come in, being qualified, in my opinion, it takes one to two years to actually get them qualified, doing multiple DHAs under supervision. Yeah, that's what I was going to add was, I think if we had some more focus as a community, and we're, we're moving away from remote DHAs, which we'll come back to, but we had some more folks on mentorship programs, on needing hands-on experience in the facility. So if you want to be qualified to do DHAs in woodworking, then you know maybe working, maybe shadowing somebody that's doing that would be a good way to go. And what I think about, I think in terms of competency, so are you confident to, to do this work? And you really need to question if you are, if you don't feel like you're confident, if you're not sure if you're confident, then you're probably not, <laughs> you know, it's like, for, like, uh, as an engineer, I, I can only work in my own area of expertise. So if you're not sure that you're competent, if you're not sure that you're a qualified person, you're probably not, you need to go get some more hands-on experience in that industry. Chris stole my line. You're still my line, man. I, I say that all the time at conferences. I get this question a lot, and we are moving away from the remote thing. But, um, but yeah, I get this question a lot. People ask, well, you know, am I qualified? I go, the fact you had to ask says you're not. I mean, you know you are. Um, and, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, all that junk behind my name, certified, whatever. Are you willing to put those certifications? I go, yep. I'm willing to put them on the line. If I had a PE, I'd put that on the line. I'm not smart enough to be an engineer. Sorry. Yeah, I'm so, not going to comment. No. I <laughs> certainly are. Um, we have a couple of more DHA stuff coming in here. So one, is there, is there such thing as a mini DHA for a small part of the plant or, you know, a single line or a piece of equipment? Somebody's just asking, is there maybe for even future projects in design stage, is that a, is that a DHA or uh, what, what would that be if somebody wanted to do that? Well, you can do a DHA just on one piece of equipment or one line or one dust collector. Uh, it's your, it's whatever you want it to be, really. Um, honestly, it's easier just to do everything at once, especially if you're going to hire somebody from the outside. But if you just want to do one piece of equipment, yeah, you could do that um, as long as you follow the DHA process, you know, whatever that is. And unfortunately, the NFPA standards purposely don't define that. And as far as I know, we won't define that on the committees because it's really a performance-based type of thing where, you know, there's different ways to do this. Nobody does it the same way. We, the way we do it's not similar to the way the other people do it. We all do it our own way. We're all very opinionated about the way we do it, as Chris knows. Uh, um, so, 
But, uh, but yeah, you can do it on one piece of equipment. And I mean, you could do that remotely if you wanted to as well. I mean, we, we do that all the time uh, where people say, well, we're getting ready to install a new dust collector. So what we do is we were doing this way before the virus, but we would look at that dust collection system, set up calls with the engineers, the architects, whoever else, go through, get all the combustible dust stuff hammered out, like explosion protection, you know, other stuff like that. If uh, we've designed whole buildings for 3D printing. So then you get into, you know, static floors. And again, you're doing all this remotely. But um, what we typically do in that is either we stop there. So you've kind of done like a DHA remotely at that point. And then it's just the question is, how do you want to document it? Uh, and most people say, well, we want you to come in and look at it after it's all installed. Okay. So you just go in there and again, you just do the onsite and document it. But you would have only done that one process in that case, not the whole facility generally. Do you have any cases where people are doing, uh, the, the wording here is, is a pre-DHA, but something doing something themselves checklist-based uh, to support the DHA or maybe bring down the cost of the DHA uh, beforehand? We have clients that ask us that. I, I, I've seen varying degrees of success with it. I'm not a fan of checklists. It's just too easy. Checking yes and no doesn't really give you enough information in most cases. You really got to dig deep on these things. And where I see checklists fall apart is the safeguards. Because that's where, really where the DHA you're gonna, is your bread and butter if you do it right, is what safeguards do you have in place? And hammering down on those. So, because like, for example, all too often I see people, whether they be the people that do it themselves with the pre-DHA or with the outside consultants, they'll, they'll show up remotely or they'll show up on site, however you want to do it, look at a dust collector and say, oh, it has a vent, we're good. They never look at where the vent points, which is generally near an emergency exit. Um, they never look at is the vent size correctly. Never look at, you know, the other things with that vent is it maintained correctly. But they check that box, yes, and it has explosion protection, we're good. And so far, we're finding about 30 to 40% of the dust collectors have vents that are too small, which is an explosion hazard, because which means they won't open in time. But if you don't do the calculations and you don't look at that, you got to dig down on that. So just having it is not always good. And that's where the checklist kind of falls apart. But if it's done right, I mean, it can save some of the cost, especially on the remote side, if they want to say, well, we'll gather some of the information so you don't have to. Okay. As long as it's gathered the correct way and you get all the information, and someone digests that and you just want somebody to review it. It can be done. It's a little little difficult, but it can be done, but there has to be a lot of communication on that. Because where I get weary with it is it's going to be my name on there saying that that's okay. And I, I'm only going to sign off on something that I know is, you know, it's either been properly assessed or properly mitigated or both. Yep. So I kind of hear you saying that it might work. It's probably best to contact the person who's doing the final DHA and get their input, at least at a very minimum, if you're looking to do that, see if it's something they're interested in. And so they like yourself so you can provide guidance on what they should be looking for because like you said at the end of the day somebody's name has to be on it and they should be responsible and then they need to be confident if they want to put that responsibility if you call yourself responsible and you're not confident um, that can lead to, to big legal issues certainly in engineering and here here in canada and i would think uh, in this kind of hazard testing world as well in terms of where things are going here jason i, I wonder so we're, we're back, everybody's back to work, things are opening. 
things are open. Do you think remote DHA as a process or even, even the way you're doing where you're switching around and doing a remote first and on-site later, like, do you think one that, that remote DHAs will be an offer that people are, that companies are making? And, and two, is that a good thing that there's an option to do these remote DHAs? Do I think there's some value in still doing it that way? Yeah. We've actually found that it's actually a little bit more, uh, what's the best word, proficient to do it that way. So there's parts of it. You know, the programs, you could do that remote all day long. I mean, and ask questions. I mean, there's really no reason to ask, be on site to ask a question about a program. But certain things like housekeeping make it a little difficult. But in the dust collection systems, you can probably do most of that remotely if you do it the right way and you know what you're doing. But when you get into the process equipment, that's where it becomes a little iffy. Um, but there are ways to do this. I mean, like, you know, when I look at 3D printing, I do a lot of that, as Chris knows. I have to do most of that remote, especially with the printer starting out, because it takes a month or two just to get answers, typically from Germany, who's shut down now. But if I don't start that remotely, that DHA will take four months. So that's already built into that type of DHA. So that, that may carry over to other certain types of DHAs. So going forward, that may be there, but I never think, and I've even had people say this, that they wanted to do it remotely and we showed up on site and they're like, you know, we're glad you showed up because you pointed out stuff that we didn't see. And it's just good to have the interaction. Cause unfortunately even doing it like we're doing now, you lose that interaction. So, I mean, I love talking to Chris like this, but it's better to see him, you know, and interact with him that way, I guess from a six foot distance right now. Um, but, uh, but you lose that interaction and, and, you know, you can actually see stuff while you're there that maybe the camera didn't catch or they didn't get a picture of it or the video missed it, you know? So I, I don't think you're going to substitute for that interaction that you could have. And, and honestly, most of the on sites for most of these DHAs, I mean, ours average between one and three days, you get above three days for a DHA that you have one heck of a facility that there's either something that's really, really big, or there's something kind of complex or weird about it that it takes longer than three days on site. Yeah. It makes sense. So people are taking advantage of having you here. Oh no. We have a number of questions that are unrelated to remote DHAs, but uh, <laughs> so I think we will, we'll, while we have you here, we'll fire some of them off and, and see what your, your thoughts are on some of them. Fact, you're laughing when you're reading them doesn't doesn't instill me with. Well, no, it's it's very good. It's just uh, we we didn't know what we would get when we when we started this whole process with the ask many things, and this is the first one, and even the trainings we're going to be doing. Um, so this is good. Uh, the folks that are tuning in, listening in, bring your questions. Email comments at dustsafetyscience.com and suggest further ones. And the whole point of this, the Dust Safety Academy, the whole point of this is to get your questions answered. So bring them, and that's exactly what we we should be doing here. Just funny that we're, we're going to be going off topic a bit. So we're going to cut off this episode of the Dust Safety Science podcast there. As you heard at the end of the episode, the Ask Me Anything sessions very routinely escalate into other topics related to combustible dust and just the main topic that we're covering, which is actually a really good thing. And in next week's podcast, episode 92, we're going to cover the second half of the Ask Me Anything session where we get into a variety of different questions around NFPA 664, mixing of different type of metal dust, 3D manufacturing or additive manufacturing, 3D printing, and more. So in today's episode, we went through the Ask Me Anything session with Jason Reason on remote dust hazard analysis. Again, this is from live trainings that are done inside the Dust Safety Academy at dustsafetyacademy.com. We covered in this episode the benefits and challenges around completing a DHA remotely, 
We talked about Jason's recommendations for blending on-site and off-site elements of DHAs, costs associated with DHAs, pre-DHAs, mini-DHAs, and more, and different aspects around this whole topic of completing dust hazard analysis before the deadline coming up in September. So if you're interested in having access to this type of training that we're doing inside the Dust Safety Academy, again, you can go to dustsafetyacademy.com, and that will have the information how you can become a member, how you can get access to the replays from the training that we do, access to the digital dust safety conference replays, and all of the other training that's coming up in the future that will be running through that educational platform. As always, you can get all the links we mentioned in this episode at dustsafetyscience.com slash 91. And I want to say have a safe and productive week ahead, and I appreciate everything you're doing in industries around the world handling combustible dust, making them safer every day.